Yeah, we certainly should. Cool. In fact, before we do, guess who's in the building, y'all? Russia, 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 Russia. Dude, come in. Uh, into the fray, bro. Into the fray. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 127. Now this is where we round up the most important tech, digital and innovation highlights from across the African continent. It really is 2019, folks. My name is Andile Masugu. Thanks for listening in. Rolling with me is the Zambian homie, the marketing <laughs> maven, the investor, Ooh. the entrepreneur, Musa <laughs> Kalenga. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Africa? And how are you, Andile? Hey, dude, I'm doing great. Fantastic, man. Thanks so much for joining me, bro. Yeah, always, always. Good to be here. Good to be in a new year, alive and kicking, I know. full of energy. I know, right? It's Things we take for granted. Right? Now, you had a truly Southern African break, didn't you? I did. I was so fortunate. I mean, in the beginning of December, I uh, I was booked to speak in my uh, in my country of birth in Zambia. So, I managed to take my wife out to Livingston. Yes. We then went uh, yes. to Lusaka, and then from there we went to uh, Malawi. Then we came back, and because your, we... mo- your mother's half Malawi, no, your mother's half Malawi. You're half Malawi. Your mother's Malawi. Malawi yeah, my mother's Malawi. My dad's Zambian. Uh-huh. And my wife had never been to the two. Every time we planned what? a trip, she fell pregnant, and what? so we had postponed it twice. Wow. So this is our first time, which was great. And then we came back to SA and then we picked up the kids and drove to Mozambique which was great hey so living it up bro it was, uh, it was fantastic I had, a, I had a really good break so I mean I spent most of my time here my wife and I you know we're in Johannesburg it gets really quiet here yeah. we don't normally do that um, but yeah basically worked through the holiday so it was a working holiday then I got to visit Harare on business had some admin to do you know running out of pages in my passport that kind of thing right and uh that turned into, oh my word, I need to be back in Zimbabwe in January, <laughs> like straight up and down. So, yeah, we basically, um, with a partner of ours, Manga Maldabuta, shout out to you, brother. Um, we, we made a plan to do a, a private investment tour of Zimbabwe at the time that most people thought, you know, we shouldn't be going in. And we were like, nah, we planned it. We're going to do it. And as it turned out, it was the right thing to do. We landed in Zimbabwe, I think, a day or two after the internet came back on, after all the... Uh, After all the hectic stuff that was happening, I'm sure everyone saw it in the news. But, you know, between Smanga, his trusty young entrepreneurial intern who happens to be a Zimbabwean junior golf champion, uh, Tadiwa Zuda, and and all the entrepreneurs, asset managers and business people we met with. I'm I'm talking quality people. I'm talking, and and yeah, name drop alert, people like Dr. Nigel Chanakira, people like Dr. Shingi Munyeza, Wisdom Gakaka of of Cyrex. Listen, you um, had peoples out there, man. Listen, we were rolling heavy. <laughs> we were rolling heavy. So while you were having a, a truly relaxing time, sublimely taking in Southern Africa, I was mostly between South Africa and Zimbabwe. But um, I'm, I'm so glad we both made it back, bro. Yeah, yeah. No, we're here and we're here to rock 2019. So yeah, and listen, the reason I'm I, suppo- I suppose I'm just letting people into our love for basically our home region yeah. is because y'all need to look out for some interesting moves uh, we're going to be making in our part of the world come late of this year. Um, yeah, I'm not going to tell you much about that now. <laughs> we'll be sharing more information about our interest in the Zimbabwean market, certainly um, in the coming months. Uh, all will be revealed, so stay tuned. And thank you so much for joining us, everyone listening right now. As usual, Musa and I will be chatting through some noticeable signals and trends we've observed in Africa's digital tech and innovation ecosystem, or well, at least since the last time we jumped on the mic. And then after that, we'll have the pleasure of having 
good friend of the show, Rushil Valab of... Uh, uh, Secha Capital, he'll be joining us to unpack some of the issues raised by a fairly controversial New York Times article entitled, More Startups Have an Unfamiliar Message for Venture Capitalists, Get Lost. <laughs> it's an article penned by Aaron Griffith, and um, the piece raises some contentious issues currently being debated right here in our own ecosystem on the, on the African continent uh, within the early stage startup investment scene. And um, some of these issues we've uh, so far tackled uh, right here on the show, certainly quite a few in the latter part of the year where we debated the question of whether or not VC is a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Listen, you don't want to miss that discussion. Rochelle will be joining us a little later on in the show, so stick around for that. But for now, Musa, if you're ready, let's jump straight into some of the more interesting signals and trends to emerge over the last month or so. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Let's do right, it. man. Well, yep. we start with an update on a guest we featured on the show some months ago, a certain Herbert Banire of Zing Holdings. You might remember Herbert uh, being on the show to talk about the company's innovative remittance offering. And by the company, I mean Zing Holdings. Their they offering, of course, called Amei.Zing, an app uh, on the Android store uh, that Zing Group launched in September last year to enable what they hoped would be millions of Zimbabweans living initially in South Africa and, and then later in other places in the world, mm-hmm. uh, they'd be enabling Zimbabweans, both banked and unbanked, to access free mobile transacting and basic insurance services via the app. Now, if you missed it, go back and check out episode 123 entitled Hacking Remittances and Other Stories featuring Herbert Banire of Amazing uh, Zing Holdings. Now, here's the update. Um <laughs> Herbert reached out to us before they sent out press releases and the news went public. Essentially, the Zing Group has announced its decision to withdraw from Zimbabwe, citing, quote, unsustainable operating conditions. As many of you know, Zimbabwe is facing critical cash shortages, a really interesting currency situation that kind of takes you being in the country to totally understand and grapple Mm -hmm. with. And um, amazing as as an app was, was sort of, positioning to to plug the gap you know that sort of uh, you know cash shortage gap uh with the digital solution it was frankly one of the more innovative more ingenious ideas i'd seen come to the fore in this space in a long time it involved yeah. people purchasing us dollar linked amazing coins essentially tokens that would allow you from this side say in south africa to to buy airtime, groceries, mm. uh, electricity, things of that nature in Zimbabwe via this app. Right. Uh, basically circumventing, you know, foreign currency controls. Right. And we asked them a lot of tough questions about how and why certain entities would allow them to, to sort of swaltz into the to the market and and disrupt a, a business as lucrative as that. Correct. And and whether or not even governments and certainly the the Reserve Bank in Zimbabwe and certainly the Reserve Bank here, what you know what their thoughts about this would be. And and Herbert told me at the time, listen, they had crossed every T, dotted every I, and it turns out, well, that yeah, wasn't the case. That wasn't. I mean, it's interesting because that's kind of a very it's a very sophisticated way of currency hedging, I suppose, in a way, right? So, you know, these coins that you buy effectively get stored and that value essentially is guaranteed for you to make future purchases. So back to your point. Yeah. How would they, um, how would they sustain that? Because effectively... Look, they were registered here, registered, and when I say here, registered in South Africa, registered in Mauritius and registered in Zimbabwe. I see. And essentially, if you bought a token in South Africa, you were essentially buying a commodity. Yes, yes, of a standardized value, right? And via their sort of company group structure, oh, they could purchase things 
Oh, I see. And they could obviously guarantee the okay, that's okay. Yes, off the back of the value you you'd sort of bought. I see. Quote unquote. But I mean there's a lot that needs to go behind that for Essentially work. essentially, <clears throat> yes, you are undermining exchange controls yes. and you are making possible things that you know, the government of Zimbabwe, certainly the Reserve Bank, the South African government and Reserve Bank have come to rely on in terms of revenue. And I remember Herbert telling us, telling me on the show, the argument he was making is this is great for South Africa because, of course, the transaction is happening here and therefore taxable here, no problems. Mm-hmm. And in Zimbabwe, it's money that the economy would not have seen flow in any case. And it's coming in as hard currency, mm. which is why would the Reserve Bank be against that? Mm. But I think... For someone who's just visited Zim for, you know, just a week and, and certainly now plugged into a lot of people who are doing business there, I now understand that it's a little more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. the, the shimmy that's going on in terms of the bond note or the interim currency that's happening in Zim sure. and its interplay with, with Forex, predominantly the U.S. dollar, is actually a, quite a complex issue. Interesting. So, yeah. So, uh, that's three years? They spent three years in the country and that was that? Well, I mean, they've been in Zimbabwe a while servicing banks yeah. um, as this was their first sort of... Fintech um, play, right? Yes, this was the first product they were going to market okay. as, Got as themselves. Yeah. And um, listen, if I'm going to be a little harsh here, I'm going to say if i've learned anything in just my short interactions in in a sort of professional sort of investment related capacity of late with zimbabwe i'll I'll say investors founders looking to expand into into zimbabwe if your idea is to be in and out or treat this like an arm's length opportunity Mm. you've got short horizons or you're not committed to the long-term potential or you're not really committed to grappling with the complex sort of political and economic relationship building that's required to do yeah. business in Zimbabwe, stay away. Probably not for you, right? Not for you. And while you were there, I'm pretty sure there was other stuff. I mean, we read about the violence as my well. My guy, my guy. So was that all for real? So listen, I have to acknowledge that it's not a fake news situation. Okay. Right? So, so let's, let's put it straight up and down. I don't okay. want people to think I've been deployed to <laughs> sort of to create this fanciful image of what's happening on the ground in Zimbabwe. People have, and, and perhaps in some places even continue to be, at risk, yeah. and certainly people have have succumbed to to violence, and um, I'll stop short of, of of speculating about who and what and why. Yeah, but it, it is happening for real, and I do think the truth of it also, the pragmatic truth of it also, is that it only affects it only affects certain people to to, to a certain degree based on based on. <sighs> Based on class. Yeah. And does that have an implication on location and geography? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, based on class, certain geographies, it's kind of like South Africa in some ways, where we know that we we have some crime statistics that would make safer places in the world bulk the notion of how do you even live here? Yeah. But you and I both know as residents of like northern suburbs in, in South Africa that there's a reality you and I enjoy. There's an insulation that you're showing. An insulation mm-hmm. that um, there's a Joburg we live in that is in some form a bubble yeah. relative to how the the um, everyday yeah. man or woman on the streets in, in, in Johannesburg might live. Yeah. And so that is also true for Zimbabwe. And the, here's the pragmatic truth. For people who are looking for the kernel of whether or not business is being done, it is. There so things continue, right? Things continue. Yeah. Business deals are being done. Important, very innovative things are being are happening in Zimbabwe in ways that you would blow your mind if you were exposed to them. Yeah. So f- I think that's the balance scorecard. Got it. Yeah. Okay. In the same breath, let's just acknowledge the the really gut wrenching events that um, unfolded in Kenya. We typically don't like to spend too much time on our show on issues like this because, frankly, there's a lot going on. I think the pragmatic yeah. vibe of our show is to sort of acknowledge what's going on in relation to 
how it impacts our ability to do business or build yeah. for our continent. From that standpoint, though, we, we have to acknowledge that Cellulant lost quite a few people who have contributed a lot to the ecosystem. Yeah. And uh, Cellulant being a fintech company that was housed in, in the building that got attacked during the terror attacks in, in Kenya uh, some weeks ago. And, and so, yeah, acknowledging the violence in Zimbabwe and acknowledging the terror attack that, that shook Kenya is just part of us acknowledging how resilient we are as a continent yeah. and how ready and willing we are to just get on with it. No, it's important. And I think uh, in, in that acknowledgement, I think is also kind of a probably a, you know, a short moment of silence because there there's lives lost. Lives um, lost. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a discontinuation in value creation, which is never a good thing for our continent. That's but, right. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a somber moment, but uh, good to acknowledge. Absolutely. Um, on, a, on a brighter note, yep. the, you know, we, we know there's a monolith that is growing into something that's quite spectacular. Hey. You know, Econet, the absolute sheer dominance of Econet. My guy. I mean, what, what was your experience My while you were over there? My Econet. Yeah. Econet is essentially what Google and perhaps Facebook are to the rest of the world. What? For real. In the context of Zimbabwe, Econet is 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 that dominant. Wow. And perhaps if you are familiar with what Tencent is doing yeah. as far as positioning to be the most ubiquitous company the ecosystem, basically. within the Chinese sort yeah. of digital ecosystem, mm. Econet is exactly um, trying to position to be that and, and doing so quite successfully. They've quite famously, you know, spun out their cassava group of companies uh, and listed that separately, mm. breaking all kinds of records for the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange. Between the two companies, I think, combined, I mean, you're looking at several billion dollars. Wow. And what's the feeling about that, that spin-out? People are very proud. Really? People are proud. Wow. Yeah, people are really excited about the prospect of Zimbabwe asserting itself. Mm. I mean, we really do bet above our our weight, yeah. you know. Oh, we, sorry, we, we really do box about above our weight. That's inspiring. Um, in many you know, respects, we need those kind of and Econet just helps us believe that yeah. that sort of thing is possible, yeah. you know. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. So, the, I mean, the Cassava group of companies includes Stewart Bank, of course, yeah. um, EcoShore, Technities, Task Nights, Via, the ride hailing service, Carigo, the you know cargo hauling, uh, Quese. Um, Eco Farmer, a health tech play, Maisha Medic. I, I mean, the the list goes on. It's phenomenal, actually. Growing, I, I, they're basically doubling revenue year on year. That's crazy. I mean, the two together basically nearly a unicorn by revenue. That's phenomenal. Not by not by valuation, not by what the market says they're worth, not by you know market cap on the Zimbabwe stock exchange sure. by revenue, folks. That's, uh, I mean, that is just unbelievable. Yeah. It, it is insane. <laughs> but truly, can't be all you know all uh, all, all uh, beautiful. I mean, sure, there's issues. Right? The, they're, they're totally issues. Yeah. Um, any sort of monopolistic vibes yeah. that are currently at play yeah. can't be good for our long-term, the long-term viability of our ecosystem yeah. in Zimbabwe or anywhere else, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, EcoCash is effectively, and I'm sure the government or the Reserve Bank will hate to hear someone like me say this, but they're essentially the de facto Reserve Bank of Bank. Zimbabwe. Yeah. With what, something like eight in every 10 transactions, digital transactions flowing through EcoCash and, and their partner bank, Stuart Bank. I mean... Sure. It's it's unprecedented. Yeah. And and then there's also some criticism. Some people say some of the compromises in Econet has had to make in yeah. order to maintain that position. Yeah. Um in, in sort of playing nice with government, allowing government to to I suppose bully them into switching off social media first and then the internet later yeah. uh, on their network. And I mean they are they argue they're just following government instructions. But there's a debate out there about 
the role of an entity as powerful as, as, as Econet in terms of standing up to the government. But you have to ask as well, the greater good of an Econet picking their fights True. for the greater good of the, con- of the, of the country. country yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you, I think you have to be sort of uh, pragmatic about the importance of an Econet just um, standing in the gap for all of us uh, in order to hold our economy together. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, government's an important stakeholder, but I mean, I'm pretty sure if you consider their shareholding, I mean, minority shareholders can't be... There's, there's <laughs> that. There's that because, I mean, the, one of the other unprecedented things, I mean, yeah. Strive Masiu are the founder of Econet, again, our wealthiest citizen. I say our, people might forget I'm a Zimbabwean citizen. <laughs> the way I'm just... Claim glo- it, I'm just, claim it. <laughs> I'm just wallowing in the glow here because I'm Zimbabwean and, yeah. uh, of course, he's our wealthiest citizen mm. and he holds an incredibly large stake mm. in Econet and consequently in, in Cassava as well and there have been murmurings among minority shareholders mm. of Econet who on one hand can't complain about its performance because they really have been well rewarded for betting on that stock yes um, one would, would argue perhaps not as well as they would like because of course the, the currency uncertainty yes. But that's business, though. That's business, though, right? Yeah. And, and and Strive is being accused of, of sort of taking advantage of this whole currency shimmy that mm. very few people can wrap their minds around. Yeah, and and some investors have been caught napping. You know, uh, sometimes when you know they should have asserted their rights in certain respects or mm. participated in certain options that were offered, and, and they didn't. And now there's there are these debentures that are are, be, are being contested because just under 1.2 million debentures, not just debentures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, Drive Masio and his and his executive team feeling the time is right to convert these to yeah. shares. At a time that was conveniently, see, yeah, conveniently, effectively, his shareholding in the company will now exceed fifty three percent. Phenomenal, uh, and people are like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, this doesn't feel or seem right to us." Um, are you taking advantage of the situation at the expense of other shareholders who are now going to be diluted? Yeah, effectively, Econet by no means a perfect company with this with a sanitary story of, of success and and sort of corporate perfection yeah but what company is at this point yeah and you know i mean the interesting thing is if you look at the um the tweet that was posted by godwin uh, mungwadzi is mm-hmm. that what he said yes um, you did that well man yeah i see what i did there yeah bro uh, he says essentially the debenture conversion will take or increase masiwa stake uh to 56.3 oh, wow. percent right like... and this effectively means that they'll be worth um one billion dollars against the cost of these debentures which is about 33 million dollars it's just My out goodness. of this world that is insane so I'd also be a little bit uh, touched if I was a minority shareholder. <laughs> yes, and I mean, the, the power he already wields, I mean, yeah. he's led that company really well as yeah. chairman. Heads up, by the way, we'll be publishing a an interview, a conversation I had with Dr. Nigel Chanakira, who fascinatingly has a a really important link to Econet. He sat on the board of that company for its first 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I don't want to spoil the story because I want you guys to look forward to it. But without $2 million that he lent strive early on and you'll hear the story in full when 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 we share it without that two million dollars the econet story as we know today would not be a thing wow and um yeah so you you want to look out for that interview because you'll you'll find out how nigel chanakira when he was somewhat peaking at the time i mean he was he was beasting certainly not peaking yeah um and had all this loose money and and because he's he's a longtime friend with strive's wife they they came up together and, and and entered that story at a, at a really opportune time to, uh-huh. to ensure that Strive would later 
become the success he is today. Sure. But there's a really interesting twist. Don't sto- don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> but yeah, I just think I just think like you know, like you've been saying. Um, it's this is an unprecedented success story for Southern yeah. Africa. A black man, certainly a Zimbabwean, yeah. in the digital space, mm. continuing to iterate. I mean, this is between Econet, uh, the Econet Group, and Cassava, we're we're talking about companies that are putting out products on almost on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we're talking Facebook level innovation yeah. and and deployment. Yeah. <sighs> Man, in Zimbabwe, yeah, it blows the mind. It's it's just it's just bonkers. and they say there's no opportunities here. They, right? they say there's no opportunity. So, uh, meanwhile, you have an MTN. Uh, you know, well, I suppose I shouldn't say MTN saying it. it really is rumors about MTN uh, planning to relaunch mobile money in South Africa. Shame. Um, both <laughs> both MTN and Vodacom have very sad stories about trying to to replicate the success of EcoCash in Zimbabwe and Mpesa in 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 East Africa, yeah. right here in South Africa. So there are rumors that they're looking uh, MTN at least is looking to relaunch mobile money. We'll be looking out for for that to either materialize or sort of not, because again, it's mm. it's rumors. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Vodacom. Yo, this hashtag please call me situation. There were people actually protesting today, must I might I add, right? Wow. Yeah. Wait, in Santon. Yeah, in Santon, right? Because um Panyaza Lisufi, who's a, is a is a minister of parliament here, and he yeah. effectively took Vodacom. I think he's a member of the executive council yeah. of education or something like that. Yeah, he took uh, Vodacom to task with a tweet, effectively, saying, Pay back this guy, the original inventor of the please call me. Yeah. Um and uh, and with that he kind of said, Well, if you don't do it, face the face the wrath of the people. Yes. Um and so today actually on my way to the studio yeah. someone called me and they were driving through Santon and there were people protesting uh, literally about this particular issue and the threat is basically we will uh, boycott we will boycott yeah, Vodacom if yeah. they don't come right on this and in case you're new to this matter we've mentioned I think the last time we talked about it was really months ago yeah because it, it felt like it was over yeah. Th- this gentleman um Makete yes let's see what's his name Kosana Makate Kosani Makate yeah Essentially, uh, at the time, a 24-year-old junior accountant at the company back in 2000 um, approaches his supervisor with an idea of creating a service that will allow users to contact people without using airtime. Mm. This became a hugely popular and almost necessary convention for users of mobile devices in South Africa. You needed to let someone know you were at the gate or you you were running late to call you back. Please call me. (laughs) They even innovated further. They allowed you to write a few words, I think limited words. So it was almost a free SMS Correct. you had so many a day then it became a marketing platform because then people started using it yeah, just, you just would know this again because from your digital marketing days it was a big part of the mix for a lot of companies Absolutely. using this as a as a really bulk you know messaging application Correct. because we were all using please call me's and you know everyone from insurers wanted to, wanted to brand the space and stuff and so now you can imagine how much revenue has been linked to that idea Yeah. Uh, and, and so there was I think Vodacom sort of... 10 years worth of revenue. Yeah, Dalk. 2001. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. So this guy basically claims, I was promised basically a seat at the table or at least a share of this revenue and it never happened. Mm. He sues them. He sues Vodacom. Vodacom goes through the motions of sort of appointing an auditor to see how much money might have been made. And and they've made a couple of offers to uh, Makate. And it almost felt like they'd reached an agreement and money was going to exchange hands and the deal was going to go down. But... I mean, it almost feels like now Vodacom's gone back on its word. No, this thing didn't make any money. Mm. No, this, you know, it wasn't really your idea. It wasn't that original. Mm. And it's turned into this national issue where, you know, people are literally taking sides either for Vodacom going, this guy is really just trying to milk a big company and take advantage of them or batting for the little guy going, 
Vodacom, this isn't right. And it's big names. Mm. Um, Tulima Donsela. Tulima Donsela, the former. Kanyazali Sufi. These, yes. are, these are not small people in the, in the society that we live in. Vodacom um, going as far as suing Panyaza, for example, yeah. basically arguing to courts that this guy is a public official. Mm. He's really out of line yeah. to be getting himself involved in this way and essentially asserting activism in this way. Uh, Panyaza going, you know, bugger you guys. I will. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not scared of y'all. And this is this apartheid ended with Mandela in 94 yeah. and we're free now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. But um, yeah, this is quite interesting. And this is part of a... a um, this is just there's one a, story. Yeah, there's like an there's like an air right now of corporate activism happening. Yeah, um, just yeah. a few weeks ago, yeah, probably a, few, a couple of weeks ago was the MMI issue uh, with the, with the, with the Ganas shooting where the gentleman died protecting his uh, your shot protecting his family from a uh, hijacking. Yep, and uh, effectively the policy didn't want to pay out. Yeah, they said uh, they, they said he he died out of. I think that technically they were right. Yes, but everybody was like, oh, that's. Doesn't matter. Yeah. MMI being one of a massive insurance, insurance group here in South yeah. Africa. They said the technicality doesn't matter. What matters is that someone lost their life protecting their family. And right? you guys, are, you're citing a technicality so that you, you don't, don't have pay to pay out. Exactly. It really looked bad. Yeah, it? it was terrible. It and was people terrible. that came down on them. And I think the pragmatist in me, the hard-nosed capitalist in me, all 2% of me, <laughs> is like they're totally right. Yeah. Uh, and they have to apply rules, rules, or rules. But um, they were wrong. But they're wrong. <laughs> exactly. Ultimately, you know they I mean? can be right, but you can be so you wrong. Can be so wrong. Exactly. So right, you're and they, wrong. And they changed the rules, right? And they paid out, and they changed the rules. And they changed the rules. So the consumer actually won. Speaking of, again, corporate um, sort of activism to, to, you know, against sort of corporate bad behavior, yeah. I think you could, it's fair the to call it. corporate conscience, holding them accountable. Holding them accountable, I mm. think it's fair to say. Yeah. Woolworth South Africa copies um, a baby carrier by a company called Ubuntu Baba, um, founded by a, sh- a certain Shannon um, McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yeah. Yes, um, <laughs> not an easy name to say, but we got there. Also strange that she's finding Ubuntu Baba. But yes, then, also another conversation strange. for another yeah. day. Because <laughs> um, it might, I think that it's an argument for uh, what's it, uh, cultural appropriation. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, how long is a piece of string? Yes. But in this case, no, um, Woolworth's admitting that they'd actually invited her to show her, her goods to them. Her, their, their buyers had sort of postured as maybe we'll sort of buy you. Oh, into this is system. cute. This is lovely. Nice. Months later, they have a, an almost identical version with lower quality of course um, version of this product in their stores yeah. this lady took to to Twitter and some have argued um, raised more dust than most would in such a short time because she's a white female mm. and empowered to do so um, nevertheless she got what she wanted out of the situation. Good for her. Um, Woolies pulled that thing. Um, it remains to be seen whether they'll be sourcing it from her. But, I, you know, all in all, a big win for the little guy there. Yeah. Or the little gal in this case. Good for her. And, and then, of course, CompuTicket, which is, I think, continues to be South Africa's largest online ticketing platform. Mm-hmm. Being fined uh, $1.45 million by the Competition Tribunal of South Africa for abusing its dominance in the ticketing industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently, between 2005 and 2010, the company, you know, basically used straight up anti-competitive behavior to extend exclusive contracts with big clients, uh, negotiate better rates with larger customers compared to smaller ones. They were doing all this nonsense, all at the expense of other companies like Artslink, Strictly Tickets, Going Places Space, people like that who are all trying to compete in the space and couldn't because it was on lockdown. Yeah, and the Competition Commission had been on fire. I think they recently also just fined three media houses. Well, there's a list, long list actually. Yeah. But I think the big ones are like Prime Media. I think SABC was on the list. 
list. Yeah. I think stoichemical were also on that list. Yeah. Um, just for, because you're big, you can't just be correct for anti-competitive behavior. So yeah. good on you, um, Competition Commission. That's uh, fantastic. I suppose there's a there's a conversation to be had at a later date about IP protection. Yes, and a, a sort of early stage entrepreneur's ability to assert or look to protect mm. domain or access to domain. Yeah. Um, within within a certain business industry uh, or protect IP that, you know, larger companies could be infringing upon. The challenge, I think, with IP is that I think even for, for entrepreneurs or early stage value creators is that I believe that legislation hasn't quite addressed, in my view, the issue of substantive IP protection and the tenure longevity. So there's ideas all the time that will come around, but I don't feel it's easy and quick enough for small businesses to gain IP protection substantively mm-hmm. and for a long enough period for you to get it to a commercial point of a point where um, it becomes a no-brainer that you're you're the beneficiary. Yeah. Now, if you don't solve for those two things, it makes it really difficult for you to even enter into that conversation as an, as an entrepreneur. So, you know, to go and sit and spend how many hundreds of thousands of rands taking, you know, your ideas to IP lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, the few times we've started companies and we've tried to do that, um, we've been deterred by that. And yeah. We've just kind of been like, you know what, actually, let's just see how this goes. If yeah. it does go well, fantastic. Yeah. If it doesn't go well, we'll see that later. So it just doesn't make it yeah. easy, um, you know, from an IP perspective for the small guys to protect yeah. themselves. Yeah. And I think there really is a loophole there that can be addressed to make it more enabling. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you if you create, you know, even if it's holding or, you know, IP laws that apply for a certain period or some kind of, uh, easy way for you to yeah. protect yourself. I don't think that. I mean, that's the golden, th- the golden thread in these stories. Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, Makate with the Vodacom situation. Correct. You have uh, the Shannon lady uh, with her with her baby carrier. Mm. Um, you had the Woolworths that also deal with the guy who did the ginger beer. There was a ginger beer. Sp- again, um, they basically stole his idea, look yeah. and feel correct down to the t- down to the bottle and the design. Correct. Um, which again, they were wrapped up with the knuckles of it. And yeah. then there's also this, and, and I, I, we really do have to return to this at some point. There's the role of society wielding these digital tools to mm. project our will. Mm. Um, and pushing back against this that is being used in ways that are frankly unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's should fantastic. Yeah, we certainly should. Cool. In fact, before we do, guess who's in the building, y'all? Russia, 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 Russia. Dude, come in. Uh, <laughs> into the fray, bro. Into the fray. <laughs> So, man, thank you so much for making it through, uh, Rochelle. Thank you for having me, guys. Nice to see you again in the new year. Yeah, yeah. we'd give we're thrown forward to your presence here at the beginning of the show. So, um, yeah, you 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 be. I've told you before. Every time you're on the show, suddenly you and VJ, mm-hmm. um, they tend to be really highly rated shows. So, we've got fans <laughs> out in these streets, man. Still friends and family. Yeah, <laughs> like nice. unless you guys are reproducing at another rate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that that's true. Cool. But thanks for joining us. Listen, you caught us in the middle of, um, you know, us just looking at some signals and trends, some interesting stories. And please, as usual, just fact it. Yep, sure. Whatever you feel like. Let's talk Naspers next. And I'm sure I can really hear some of our listeners going, well, you're just talking Southern African news. Listen, they've been really big Southern African news. And I'm probably more excited than I've ever been about Southern Africa. You know, I think you get jaded, yeah. especially when you live in South Africa. Yeah. You you visit Zimbabwe every, you know, once or twice a year yeah, as a tourist. As a tourist, you know. <laughs> and you go to Bulawayo as well, yeah. the second largest city, not the largest one. Or, you know, you do Zambia once in a while, you yeah. do bots and stuff. And then you start to, you start to think, yeah, we're there or thereabouts. And I'm like, nah, that this... 
the, the last quarter of last year and the you know so far the, the first quarter of this year have really just got me really much more excited about what's happening here. Nevertheless, we stay with Southern Africa. There will be other items that touch on other parts of the continent. So, you know, so don't lose your marbles entirely, folks. If if you if you're looking for other news, but Nasper is of course Africa's biggest. Um, tech company, um, certainly by market share, continue to do interesting moves off the back of stuff they've been selling that's leaving them really cash flush and allowing them to do interesting things. No doubt leveraging the enviable position they're in in, in terms of owning Tencent and other things. They're just kind of beasting at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily in terms of performance, because uh, some people argue their performance is sketchy uh, when you uh, adjust for mm-hmm. th- their sort of holding of Tencent, for example. Um, but certainly they are not being shy to to place bets, international bets. So Naspers has taken up an additional 29.1% stake in Russia's largest classified advertising platform, a business called Avito. It was a $1.1 billion deal, uh, according to some media reports. And um, the deal was made through Naspers OLX Group which, of course, you'll recall, has has um, removed itself from the Nigerian market recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, Nasper is uh, happy to put their money where, where they think it needs to be, yeah. whether it's in ed tech, yeah. uh, certainly pushing really hard on, on sort of e-commerce, but in, in foreign markets, uh, talk India, talk Canada, now mm. Russia, mm. and other places I've left out. And also selling off seemingly, you know, profitable assets like um, their investment in Link Africa, mm-hmm. the fiber optic uh, infrastructure company. Link Africa is all set to buy back uh, a sale that will be managed by Investec, apparently. I think $33 million dollars. Yeah. Um, is what the deal is worth at the moment if it goes through. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it does <laughs> seem from the from the outside that uh, Nasper is, is going. With, we're okay with with um, with Africa, or at least we're 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 bearish on Africa, but bullish on the rest of the world at the moment. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I think they're also trying to dilute their uh, or their portfolio. I think um, you know they diversify. Yeah, they've clearly focused a lot more on emerging markets, so they haven't gone too far outside of what South Africa represents. But yeah. I think SA is also, from a political perspective, a little bit of a hot potato right now. So yeah. and e-commerce is just not doing as well as anyone would like. Even in Nigeria, right? Yeah, we'll so, talk about that mm-hmm. in a bit. Um, yeah. And and so NASPA is just going, we, we, I suppose, chasing the value and and in many ways setting the trend for where yeah. to look or, you know, the where sort of big business <laughs> looking for value in this yeah. space ought to be looking. Yeah. So from that standpoint, it's quite important what they do or decide not to do. And it would be interesting to see how the bets they're making will perform yep. and how, more importantly, their shareholders will respond, many of them being uh, annoyed by the what they perceive the uh, unfair bundling of value tied up in their, in their 10 cent investment. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see how Nasper's fares. Um, it's just nice to see African money show some some global swag. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. One of the biggest deals since we were last on the show has to be though the hundred million dollar funding round in Andela. Um, that came courtesy of former U.S. Vice President Al Gore's investment firm, Generation Investment Management, which led the round. Um, that brings the company's total venture capital funding to one hundred and. $80 million to date. Their last round was just $40 million, led by CRE Venture Capital. And um, yeah, there's two ways to think about this. 
it's really exciting to see big ticket deals like this start to go down on a pretty regular basis on the continent. But is this entirely good news? Too much pressure. <laughs> or, or does it mean that, that the developers are start, going to start getting a, a more fair rate? I mean, the last time I was here, we, we chatted about um, them getting paid a fraction of what the U.S. Uh, teams were getting. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is this basically, are we celebrating what's effectively a talent switch-up? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The, the point for me is really more, does this business's performance justify these sort of investments and no doubt what's turning into astronomical valuations? Mm. And I think that's more the question for me. I think we have been, and I say we, I'm, we as a sort of a media platform have been guilty of hyping, you know, big ticket deals. Just because it feels good, it does, you know, it kind of falls into that whole hashtag Africa rising narrative and it just feels good to be like to the rest of the world. Well, we're doing it too. Um, But as we'll discuss later... There's the operational reality. There's the operational reality of are we... Are we sort of enabling a bubble to form here that will eventually just be bad for all of us? Well, all of that remains to be seen. And I look forward to the discussion a little later on. Shout out to you, Cairo Angels. Uh, according to you know Egypt's largest angel investment network, $2.3 million have been uh, invested in 24 startups over the last year or so. They, they claim there seems to be a much larger trend to Egyptian entrepreneurs turning to angel investors as opposed to directly to VC or certainly uh, trying to bootstrap through, you know, some of the most trying times of trying to start up. And so I, I suppose I highlight that because um, the only other angel network I'm familiar with that's doing as much or as many deals as Cairo or perhaps close to might be the Nigerian one. Maybe Saban here in South Africa, the South mm. African one, which is relatively newer, yeah. um, might be in a position to compete with that level of of deal flow, 2.3 yeah. million. And of course, um, having interacted with some members of this network, I'm aware that they would like to be doing many, many more deals. The capacity certainly is there. Um, to be sinking more money into into early stage ideas at the angel stage, not quite happening. Again, this is not something new. Every other person I speak to in the investment space talks about pipeline issues. Um, but I, I, I just like to see that there's a growing trend towards support for for startups at the beginning stages of businesses and, and angels and angel culture starting to come to the fore is, yeah. I think, good for everybody. Yeah, serves the ecosystem, I think. Serves the um, ecosystem. And I suppose the, as you said, as you always say, oversimplification, but we'll get to the details of that. We will, because again... <laughs> Purely money coming in if, is, a, is a big simplification of the implications again, down the line. Again, if that angel network is playing into a certain doctrine Correct. of venture capital or Correct. PE or whatever, it is then again uh how excited should we be i love how critical we're becoming on this show because in the past we'd be like yay two three point three million twenty four deals boss <laughs> no we can't we can't afford to be that oversimplistic anymore cool staying with egypt though bus sharing startup swivel has expanded to kenya last year you might recall swivel raising over 38 million dollars in two funding rounds and and then they announced you know their plans to sort of attack 10 cities Sure. No, and not just any cities. Cities outside of Egypt, which, as as if I, if I mean, if I'm if I'm right, I think Arabic is the key language there, right? They, it's mostly Arabic, and yeah. culturally, I don't think there's much in common with too many countries outside of the North African region that might share a culture or 
yeah. sort of copy and paste opportunities for operational design and other things with a country like Egypt. So that was kind of strange to me at the time when I heard like 10 cities. I know many of the cities they were targeting would still be in the North African region. Some of them, um, I believe, and uh, I stand to be corrected, would also be in uh, possibly in the Middle East. Mm. Kenya seems to be a bit of a leap for me, um, which brings me to the question, guys. There is this startup obsession on the continent with regional growth really early on. Mm. And I wonder where that's coming from and whether it's a good thing. It's that doctrine you keep speaking about, right? (laughs) So there's this uh, prevailing set of rules around growth that aren't necessarily determined by people within the the space that that, that growth needs to be realized. Um, And, I mean, for me, I think there's been an interesting uh, common come to Jesus moment I've had personally around my thinking around growth and how that um, should happen for the businesses I'm involved in. Um, the first is that the regional view is to get to get into the smaller concentric circles of growth and be realistic about those, right? So if you, do, if you use a region as SADC versus a region as, uh, as, as Southern Africa, mm-hmm. I think the concentric circle of SADC makes sense if you're in the SADC space. Mm-hmm. Now, if you use that concentric circle to be able to, to, to kind of grow, there's a lot of benefit in being more structured about it. So, I mean, I look, you know, using South Africa as our base for our business, why is it that we're going to try and figure out how to crack Nigeria? I mean, it's a So this is Bridge Labs, right? You're correct. talking about. Yeah, so it's a huge jump for a number of reasons. Culturally, um, the travel logistics between there and here, um, you know, currency issues, there's a lot that needs to be considered. And we do that because of the promise of 250 million Nigerians that potentially will use our product. But I think it's an irresponsible path to success. And, and having reflected on it and having traveled, you know, as I said last year, um, I'm really trying to hold my, my partners accountable to more kind of uh, tempered growth um, within a concentric circle that makes sense. Yeah. But also, I think we need to fund that growth organically because we're we're not raising 10 million, 28 million ticket uh, rounds. Yeah. Um, and so for that that to be more organic, yeah. um, it makes more sense for the geography to be a little bit more more restrained. So, yeah. I mean, for me, that was, you know, that's, that's my view. I think the obsession comes from the stories we hear, the media narrative, the yeah. fanaticism about East and West Africa and that opportunity. All of that yeah. plays into the narrative of if you're not kind of doing that, then you're not doing Maybe not even the fear that other people are going to take your idea and run with it before you get to their markets. And I, I mean, having raised $38 million in two funding rounds um, over the last year, I mean, firstly, that's not a lot of money when you take into account the complexity of a task of moving even just just one jump from, say, a place like Cairo to, to Kenya, I'd imagine a big chunk of that money is just going to go to figuring out how to do it mm. and and just getting into country and, and settling down before you have to raise again. Yeah, My suspicion is this is being driven by a system that incentivizes founders to to basically burn through cash as quickly as possible, grow as fast as possible on the premise borrowed from places in, like Silicon Valley where this is sometimes true, that sometimes it... It does take just, you know, a tweet to inspire someone with a lot of money and the know-how to create a competing product across the country and take you on and and, and maybe race you to being a dominant player before you get there. And so there's this FOMO around being first mover and sort of consolidating Mm. control of a certain industry or or play. And I feel like that idea is being imposed upon founders here who, frankly, would never land... VC, which is mostly coming from abroad at the right now, mm. without a story about how quickly you're going to end up in so many markets mm. and scale your audience or your your addressable market. I wonder if it's <coughs> what do you think, a, a question of of yeah. the the total addressable market because every company we speak to 
comes to us with a product and, and we've got to figure out how big is this market and and Musa to your point let's start in South Africa because that's where we're focused mm. right so if we have 55 60 million people here how many people are going to use your product or mm. service in Egypt if there's a hundred million people and your your bus sharing service the economics only makes sense at I don't know 50 60 million users then you do need to expand to to regional players because you just can't do it within your own country mm. I mean it's a huge leap to go from Egypt to Manila but yeah. I think if, if you need the, the numbers to make that work, Uber, that, that's why Uber expanded so quickly. They just needed to get to, to scale for the economics to make sense. I suppose there's definitely a question of, is, is there good and bad growth? Mm. I mean, if your model inherently doesn't work unless, you know, some of the things you've mentioned, then there's a question of, I know it's horrible to say, but should your business exist? right now given everything else we need to do and and the doth of yeah. say finance for smes it like for yeah. in the space you're playing in for example rachel i mean maybe these are the companies that that i mean you you, you touched on it that the vcs are looking for because when you do have that 100 million 200 million user base they become unicorns right or, or that's the the aim but starting with the premise that your business model doesn't make sense in your own country, mm. I, I don't know. I, for me, I can't invest in that. Yeah, does it doesn't. Do, make- <laughs> I mean? yeah, and, and, Is and it harsh to say? Because there's <laughs> yeah. a side of me that's like that's almost unfair. That's almost like saying any entrepreneur with a, a sort of uh, a moonshot idea yes. should just temper it with: is it necessary or not? If it, and if the answer is no, like forget it and go farm. But, can, um, but, yeah, <laughs> but give me an example of one that worked that 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 had that moonshot that was that wasn't tied to geography. Facebook had. Was successful in the universities before yep. it was successful anywhere else. Yeah, uh, Instagram similar, WhatsApp similar. They've all had a very Amazon, so, right? So like, there's yeah. there's a very close tie to being able to solve responsibly from a geography perspective because there's a direct correlation, as you said, with costs. Um, but secondly, the total addressable market that Rachel was talking about only starts to reveal itself when you start to understand the business model a lot better. I believe. Yeah. In certain instances, because in the Africa context or in the emerging market context, the problems we're solving are so grassroots um, that we've got enough of a runway with a total address market locally that we don't need to obsess about trying to build for this you know and if we do need to I believe it reveals itself as opposed yeah. to starting at that point yeah. um, and then the pressure is just unreal it just becomes ridiculous to start yeah. maintaining that and I think that's what fuels it yeah. um, but I think our environments are very different and it's yeah. irris- I think it's irresponsible growth yeah. I think there's a lot that goes into it and I'm also I'm looking for examples there have been so many examples of those that ascended quickly and also fell quite quickly because yeah. the sustainability wasn't built into how they'd got where they needed to get to. I mean, we're, we're going to talk now next mm. about examples of that where, yeah. I mean, while Nigeria is killing it as far as attracting more early stage investment than pretty much any other market on the continent right now, yeah. that country's e-commerce industry is struggling to stay afloat. So and littered with dead bodies. Oh my <laughs> word. <laughs> Literally. Like, you can't, you yeah. can't walk a straight line yeah. <laughs> without bumping into... What's it? Glue? OLX? Deal day. Careers, Careers 24, 24 is about to die, like um, come March. Everton. All of this has been riding on a story that has been based on some of the problematic issues we've been, we've been looking at. The whole notion of product market fit within the context of thinking of Africa as one big place you can actually attack as a single market, hmm. right? On one hand, we're really upset at people who treat Africa like a country. And we want to assert, like, or basically, we, we, yeah, we, we basically want people to understand that there's nuances here and we want people to have proper respect for the different markets and, and how they require different approaches and have different needs, etc. On one hand, mm. 
But then we also have, uh, you know, a startup culture that, you know, that somehow is okay with thinking of this place as one big place you can sort of attack and <laughs> in, a, in a sort of startup deck talk about we're going to hit 10 cities in like five countries. Like it, it's as easy as talking about <laughs> New York you know, Seattle and Washington, you Open know, across a bridge and you're there. <laughs> and you're just there. You know what I mean? Like, I met an incredible entrepreneur this morning and, yeah. and he had a great line. He said, it's easy to make money on Excel. I love that. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. Uh, Excel will make you look boss. Excel will make you look boss. So I suppose, yeah, guys, I think there's just, I I can't wait for this year to continue to unfold because I think our conversations around these matters are going to continue to mature as we get more and more case studies as our own entrepreneurial experiences deepen and rich and, and become richer mm. uh, all of us are, are doing very interesting things this year Correct. um certainly set you're doing fascinating stuff you know at bridge labs what we're planning here at african tech roundup and and what we're seeing in the market mm. uh we're gonna need to have these hard conversations so mm-hmm. if we are scratching at your scabs right now we don't mean to we <laughs> we mean all of this in love yeah so we're going to shut out this, this segment before we head into our uh, discussion with two international news stories. Now, chaps, you guys both know that I've been I've been on about this uh, this new Xiaomi device that I've I'm uh, I'm using. Are you also of, Xiaomi? Are you also <laughs> Xiaomi? Yep. Whoa. Get out! <laughs> Got an incredible battery life, and it's so cheap. My guy, we're doing a fist bump right here, right here on the show. Well. I feel a bit segregated. <laughs> he cause, does because he's, uh, he's the only iPhone in the room. <laughs> but um, but you, you and I are still uh, Mac uh, devices on our laps. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, You've you're, converted. You've converted yeah. completely. So here's free. the thing. Um, our listeners will know that uh, Mark Kaigo and I had a conversation yes. where he put me on. To, he had one. Um, and I was just sold. Like he just sold it. He sold, I'm sure he sold it. Xiaomi owes him money. <laughs> or shares. Or shares because of, of the marketing he did for this phone. It, is, it, it turns out a really incredible device, the Xiaomi F1. But I'm not, this is not like a, the ad. The, the point is that's the segue into telling you that Xiaomi is thinking about opening up an office here on the continent. Mm. They're selling quite a few of these devices uh, here on the street in, in, in Kenya. I had to buy mine in, in Europe. Where'd you buy yours, Rochelle? Uh, had it shipped in from China. From China. Mm. Uh, do you, what is your Amazon? Or? Ali, 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 Express, Ali, Ali Express. Okay, cool. I should have checked that out because I, I, I bought mine in the UK and then had it shipped to, to the Netherlands where I was at the time and, okay. and got it there. But you know, we are loving it. But here, here are two stories that are making me feel less and less smug about switching <laughs> back to Android from iPhone. And the first, the first one involves Facebook. Facebook is always in trouble when Rochelle comes here. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. They're going to, they're going to start trying to find out when he's planning to come <laughs> Because clearly, um, uh, they, or are they just that regularly in trouble? <laughs> they are pretty much regularly in trouble at this point. It's really unfortunate. Um, they've been paying teens and adults something like twenty dollars a month to give uh, them root access to all data transmitted to their phones. Sure. Um, why is this big news, particularly in the states? TechCrunch broke the story um, because, of course, iPhone is huge over there. The privacy is a m- much larger issue, sort of dinner table talk issue relative to other places in the world, certainly this part of the world, relative to the States and stuff. And and so people who own iPhones think rightly so. They they're much safer, they're much more their their lives We're encrypted. Their online <laughs> lives as played out on their mobile devices are a lot safer. Yeah. Um, than those of us who've gone Android. And I have to say, in the time I've owned an Android, I have never given up so many so many rights to my data in such a short permissions. time. <laughs> permissions to use to I've given permissions to, to, to read my notes, to listen to me, to monitor my health, to 
And I'm not kidding. There's like, a whole other African Tech Roundup broadcast happening right now somewhere. <laughs> I am telling you. In a, How do I set up my phone? <laughs> in a parallel universe. My wife is, seriously, because my wife and I both bought these phones and she's unnerved. She's literally, her more than me because I'm more pragmatic about it. Yeah. But she's like, dude, like she's being followed around. She's not used to like getting notices that reminding her like where she's been, like asking her to, to oh my word. Great restaurants. Great restaurants. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's I mean, Google's just beasting. Yeah. Uh, with my wife's yeah, got like, a oh, similar experience where, actually where have you Samsung. Been? Yeah. Yeah, she got a new Samsung phone and it's exactly the same. She's like, why do they keep asking me all these things everywhere I go? Every app, every app. Though I, though I must say, in their defense, it has been useful to me to find out when my anniversary with my girlfriend was. <laughs> <laughs> went, went into my Google timelines and said, "When did I go to that restaurant?" Exactly. Now I have a date. <laughs> and where it's the Google. cheapest roses are yeah. within like a five-kilometer radius, which is the argument, of course, that. Yes. Everyone from utility, Xiaomi yeah. to utility, you've made this argument even in in, in, in sort of defense for for Facebook, and I have to admit mm. that is the world without Facebook rich or poorer, mm. and I have to admit that it's certainly poorer, even in you know with my dim view of some of their practices. Yeah. So I mean, here we are, like talking about Facebook. They've done all sorts of naughty things, including uh, using a research app, accessing. Um, parts of Apple's infrastructure that they could only access by paying people with employee access. Oh, oh my word. It's crazy, hey? They've since shut down that app. So don't worry. You don't even need to know what it is because you can't use it anymore. They've shut it down. It's, it's because crazy. of the embarrassment. Literally within 21 hours of this breaking on TechCrunch. Oof. And then within another sort of a few hours of that news breaks about Google being found using a shady research app to monitor and analyze user traffic and data. Not like we didn't know. Mm. Um, because the only thing about Google, I have to say, everything I'm experiencing on Android around people asking for my data or access or permissions to use and things of that nature, pretty upfront. So it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not hidden and it's not, it's hidden. not like cloak so and dagger. I, mean, I, I think that's a Xiaomi function because w- when I got this phone, I switched from a, a Samsung and I noticed yeah. that they ask a lot more for permissions. Right. Whereas on Samsung, they, it wasn't asking for those permissions. I'm sure it was using it, but right. I yeah. think there may be a device there might difference. Be a di- yeah. But then again, Xiaomi, um, Transgen Holdings, the guys who own te- um, Techno and other devices, I mean, they themselves have a massive data play around playing that role for you you know, interfacing with the rest uh, of the world and, and harvesting that data themselves and also incentivizing you to use all their own tools and uh, and stuff like that. So Techno, uh, Transition Holdings, is, that's a big part of their business model, actually. I see. The data scrape itself. I see. Um, so Samsung's in the business, of course, of the device itself, but also. Mm. And so Xiaomi and them coming to market initially as device makers yeah. as well, but... Definite huge data plays in the background. And Mark, Mark Haigo actually unpacked this uh, in, a, in such a, a really simple and a great way because he's been in touch with them, speaking quite in depth okay. about the stuff they're doing. So if, you have, if you've missed that conversation I had with Mark, go check it out on our site, africantechroundup.com. Um, go find the, the latest chat I had with Mark Haigua, where he practically sold me into buying this phone I have right now in my hand. <laughs> so yeah, I think as the two sort of international stories to, to close out our... Uh, signal and trends segment. Um, I think it's been it's been a lot of fun to look at things. I know we haven't touched on everything that happened. That is never the point on our show. Yeah. Um, we just like to point to, to to pick stories that I think give people in depth insight. 
actionable insight, the kind of insight that puts you in a better position to assert yourself in business on our continent, in entrepreneurship and in investment, or even in policymaking. So for those of you who are wondering how and why we do what we do, that's why. And now it's discussion time, folks. Uh, we've already welcomed our guest on the show, a, a really good friend of our show at this point, uh, uh, Rachel Vallap. He is one half of the managing team at Secha Capital. We're really big fans of the work they do and how they go about doing it. Uh, and so welcome once again, Rachel. This p we, we're going to talk about something I threw forward uh, a, a little earlier on a New York Times article entitled More Startups Have an Unfamiliar Message for Venture Capitalists. What's that message? <laughs> Get lost. Get out of here. Thank you, Aaron Griffith, <laughs> for writing that article. It's very American focused. Um, and so it's been really interesting to read it, but also filter it through my, our own experience and what's relevant to our markets here on the continent. And, and certainly, uh, also in the light of some of the, 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 the contentious issues we've discussed on our show, not least the question of whether or not VC is a Ponzi scheme that we've discussed on the show, a very popular episode, we, uh, we had to debate that. That was really fun. Uh, you were here for that, right? Yep. Rochelle. So um, what we're going to do to launch our conversation, I'm going to reference some fun responses to this thread <laughs> from some leading African entrepreneurs. Um, as well as some international ones who, whose reactions uh, I found quite interesting. So I'm just jumping into my Twitter to see what they had to say. Um, everyone knows Jason Joku shoots from the hip. Here's what he had to say. He shared the link to this, to this very uh, article, which we encourage all of you to read. As grateful and fortunate as I am for the opportunity with at Iroka TV, I will probably never start or run a venture-backed startup again. My emotions can't handle it. Mm. Very telling. Okay. Mm. So that's one view. Um, mm. Bill Gurley, 100% agree with this article and have voiced this opinion my whole career. The vast majority of entrepreneurs should not take venture capital. Why? Article nails it. It is a binary swing for the fences exercise. Bootstrapping is more likely to lead to individual financial successes. <laughs> Mark Cuban, of course, the famous sort of investor, I think, I think billionaire even. Uh, nothing wrong with trying to be a profitable company, he says in support of this article. Further, he says, the valley approach of growth at all costs is dead. And then our, our friend of the show, at least in my head, <laughs> Chamath Palahitia. <laughs> <laughs> own it. Own it. Own it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's our buddy. Mm. We, 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 uh, we dig him. Mm. Um, uh, he says, okay, he expletive, S word. <laughs> I need to stop fundraising and flip to a holding company, dot, dot, dot. Oh, wait, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. He's already done that, of course. He, 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 he publicly sort of ticked off a lot of people he was in business with by basically rejecting uh, the VC model um, and even running a really well-performing hedge fund even in favor of uh, basically going holding company, making long plays in things that matter and, and turning his back on how Silicon Valley chooses to do business. So folks, you've read the article. What do you reckon? People are slamming the door in the faces of the VC, yeah. at least some. <laughs> Is there a good reason? I think the chickens are coming out to roost. I think, um, I think the VC model has got a lot of, um, it's like the Mad Men era, you know, in the advertising world, we, talk, we refer to the Mad Men era, yeah. you know, where you've got these cowboys, and I suppose even in the investment, you know, what's that movie with that guy? Uh, 
Oh, Wolf what's his name? <laughs> the Leonardo uh, DiCaprio one. The movie, Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. Right? Is that same mentality, that frenetic um, sense of uh, bullishness, uh, bullish, uh, like excess. Like yes. there's just so much negativity associated with that. And in the world that we're going to, I think a more measured and more responsible approach is is required. I mean, you have to have a different view. And um, I mean, I, I, I just reflect on some of the experiences we've had with VCs, where we've had ideological m- disagreements from the get go because we just didn't see eye to eye on how this was going to work. A, but B the inability for the traditional way of doing things to evolve into a new way of thinking about value creation. It's yeah. almost like it's its like it's two different paradigms that can't kind of coexist. That's true. Um, so it's almost burn the, burn the boats kind of thinking around, you know, we can't actually just work off that, uh, off that, uh, yeah. um, off that way of thinking. Because early on, there was a lot of criticism for traditional thinking around Correct. investments and people who are yeah. caught up in the boring business of yeah. sort of doing property Correct. Or, or running like, Things that'll never scale, correct, and uh, and doing so profitably, yeah. And we were, I was, I being one of them, very frustrated with people like that, yeah, um, shunned at, yeah, yeah, and and going, what's wrong with you? And now it's it's almost like yeah. the the pendulum has swung the other. I think way. it's I think it's necessary to redefine principles of growth. I think it's really important that you know. Gr- growth, no one can dispute that growth is the only thing that's going to get businesses to to accelerate, right? Mm-hmm. But the principles on which we grow are, are important to redefine. And as you said, growth at all costs is something that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so for us in emerging markets. You can't grow at everybody's expense. It, does, it, like, it fundamentally goes against our ideologies around what yeah. we do with communities, right? Um, the, the hyper returns, the excess that is at the end of the race. And why is it a zero-sum you know? game as well? Correct, right? So those principles need to be completely redefined. Um, Aside from the fact that it's completely unsustainable, aside from the fact that um, slowly but surely, you know, the question I don't have an answer to is, you know, does the pot run dry at some point? You know, does this actually eventually end up being completely unsustainable from a demand perspective? Because what's fueling it is that there's someone out there that is willing to give you that check for X, whatever it is. Um, So for as long as that exists, you know, there'll always be someone that's willing to take that money. But I think the the, the point of the article is that there's someone willing, but also forcing you as an entrepreneur to 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 point. raise, uh, over-raise, yeah. and, and that's where the, the issues come point. So speak to this some more, Rachel, because, yeah. I mean, you, you guys are both right. It starts with VCs enlisting limited partners looking to deploy increasingly larger amounts of capital, which, of course, then chases abnormally high rates of return, right? And then, as yep. you say, VCs encourage startups to raise piles of money to grow aggressively. And then you've got media outlets like us. I mean, we have to take responsibility as well, Hmm. um, who fuel this hype machine by sensationalizing successful raises without actually questioning whether or not, you know, companies are actually succeeding by way of achieving sustainability, never mind profitability. And then, you know, startups, as we've discussed again, are encouraged to expand to markets as quickly as possible. Again, in the U.S. context, you want to do this before, you know, if you're on the East Coast, someone on the West Coast, beats you to it or 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 certainly you know you you want to grow and and sort of dominate a market and and then figure out the numbers later you know whatever you know whatever weird notions kind of drive that which are certainly not true on on the african continent in the same way um but then then you're encouraged to sort of burn through your cash as quickly as possible raise new and increasingly high rounds of investment that allow said you know vcs to exit profitably and sometimes even the savvier founding teams in this context also get an opportunity to, to profit or exit profitably without any value being created. Mm. Um, 
and and yeah, and this is all normal. Like we're okay with this, apparently. Like all of us are just we're cool. But I think that w- what you said is interesting. That that the the incentive to do this is to dominate the market. Right? There's a, a feeling that there's a winner take all. Yeah. In, in all these scenarios and yeah. maybe historically with with larger tech plays Amazon Google Facebook whatever um, they because their platform plays they need a two-sided market so you have to dominate amongst your 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 suppliers and your your customers yeah. um, because you're the platform play so uh, the mentality of I need a hundred million dollars a billion dollars whatever it is to go and go out and dominate the market is somewhat driving this yeah because it is winner take all and if I don't don't if I raise fifty million dollars instead of a hundred, then that's not enough, and, and yeah. I'm going to fail. In the in the investment context, it's literally yeah. here are your options: um, acquisition, IPO, or bust. Like literally, yeah. or fa- like literally. How, how is that okay? It's not as a mainstream right. concept for raising a whole new breed of entrepreneurs. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. So I mean, here's the other problem, and I, I want you to speak to Rashil, especially given you know how what you guys do at Setcha and essentially you guys being this weird hybrid holding company slash, you know, PE, I don't know if PE, VC. I mean, you got, you guys are a lot of things that you've wrapped into one and we've had offline conversations about how you've had to humbly confront your model when it maybe wasn't as scalable as you had hoped or that kind of thing. Um, so in that context, I mean, let's talk about the investment horizon sure. and the problem around Everything we've discussed happening in the context of not only must this happen, it must happen within two years, within three years, mm. four at the max. So, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think we're, we're moving into a different world where um, you can't justify raising a hundred million, two hundred million dollar fund, charging that two percent management fee because on on the African continent, there may not be the deal sizes that that you want to invest in, and and that's what. The, the premise of, of when we started Setcher Capital, that we understand that there are a limited number of large deals to be done. But there's a huge uh, breadth of smaller businesses that just need a little bit of help, a little bit of capital and a little bit of human capital to help. And I think when, when you talk about the horizon coming, I think that's what VCs, PE, hold codes, whatever they, they are, they need to offer more value to, to their entrepreneurs, mm. where it's not just about the cash. $100 million is not going to solve your problem by itself. It's mm-hmm. the application of it and the strategy behind it and um, the implementation or executing against that plan that's that's the most valuable. Sometimes just network access above all else. Sure, sometimes right. Even, so so yeah. there has to be some value that comes mm. along with it. Um, and I think that's where where it needs to to head towards. And, and maybe that's Chamath's idea, right? Where, yeah. where he... He doesn't want to be VC constantly going for an up round and, and being part of this necessary machine to keep raising valuations. Whereas if you pull back and you structure your incentives differently, then you can start rethinking about how do you actually create real value, not just paper valuations based on projected future growth that may or may not happen. So, I mean, one of our advisors at the African Tech Roundup Tour, um, who's an investor, Danish, um, this is one of his biggest bugbears. He he loses his proverbial mind every time he, he meets founders or, or investors in the African context who seem to take such a short view or all too eager to try and, and take short wins. Mm. And my sort of pragmatic pushback on his very, very strict 
view on this is there are some sensible short plays we can and should be making. And there are sometimes you don't want to be emotionally attached to something that mm. prevents you from from exiting and moving on to the next thing that actually works to the greater good of the ecosystem, certainly, you know, and profitably for you. So, Musa, I don't know what you your thoughts on this are because <clears throat> you've worked in banking at the highest level in South Africa. You've worked um, for one of the world's largest um, tech companies and Facebook, um, although you might want to remove that from your LinkedIn these days. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no, I, I say that only in jest. And then you, you, you have this holding company. You, you're invested in, in a consortium mm. that's buying up opportunities. I know most of the investments you're making have this, take this really long view. Mm. But because I know you, I know that you are sufficiently invested in, in Africa's future. Mm. But you're no dummy and you, you also appreciate you know, a short deal taking wins when you can. And that's part of the pragmatism I feel that's missing from entrepreneurship or the idea of entrepreneurship when that's taken off the table because you've got a $10 million and you don't have to actually one worry about mm. trying to be resourceful or find ways to make money when you can. Mm. So give me a sense, you know, give someone listening right now a sense from your experience about how you, you think about these things. So I, I certainly don't think... I think a clarity around the end games is, is, is a very important starting point. And you mentioned it. I mean, we we and I am completely and utterly invested in this continent, right? So ultimately, the value that will accrue and everything that will happen, my view is that you know the net net beneficiary is going to be this continent. Um, and so, so in the journey to get to that point with every commercial enterprise I undertake, there is definitely thinking that has to build towards that. But the reality of making a business operational is that there'll be short term and I don't I don't necessarily think you sacrifice one for the other. I think you have to be prudent with your short term decisions yeah. to ensure that your business continues to operate sensibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you're not clear about your vestedness in the long term, that's where I think you can veer off. Because I, I consider it an off ramp and if you're not sure how to get back onto the main road, that off ramp could potentially take you to a you know to a place where yeah. you, you know you completely lose the philosophy. So so for me number one, it's the vestedness and that's a psychology of whether you're here to, you're here to win in the long run and you're here to create value for the company. Mm-hmm. Because I think that 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 North Star keeps me really accountable around some of the potentially difficult decisions that take you a little bit off that track, but ultimately you know justify it in the long run. You know, I think that the term is the end yeah. justifies the means. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as linear as saying you can be completely you know dedicated to it even in the short wins. I think yeah. there's sometimes there's a sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, that's the reality of, of yeah. being in business. And again, uh, again, a teaser. Because you guys need to look forward to this doctor, this this conversation I had with Dr. Nigel Chanakira, the the founder of King, Kingdom Bank in Zimbabwe and um, longtime board member of Econet Group. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, that story that I that you're going to hear there, I think sums that up perfectly. Where mm-hmm. you can't get it right all the time, mm-hmm. but if your heart is where it's at, mm-hmm. it is in the right place, then you you keep your north star in place. And I have to thank you for. For enlightening me this, to this fact, and full disclosure, you, you wouldn't have become a co-host on this show, never mind a co-founder of the African Tech Roundup, if you hadn't had that view. Because at the time he joined us, by the way, um, he had opportunities to to do much larger shows to to audiences in South Africa, but there would be limited to South Africa, but much larger commercial short-term mm. opportunities within media and stuff, and stuff like that. And so, my pitch to have him joining the show was. You know, this plays into your 
to your vision yeah. for global, for reasonable and global growth, right? Yeah. And, and I suppose I, I just say that to try and create a hook or a case study for you guys to latch onto in trying to personalize this for yourselves as listeners of the show. Anywhere in the world, you may be Africa-focused in some way, and you're trying to figure out how to come up with a healthy, balanced, pragmatic approach to being invested here, Mm. to founding here, Mm. to policymaking here, Mm. to impact investment here. And I think a lot of what we're talking about here mm. is, and this is just the start. And really, I thought, I think this is a really great way to start the year. Um, in terms of this, we are literally out of time. But I, I want to assure you that we will be harping on this issue, not just because, you know, we happen to enjoy talking about these matters, but also just because we see this as one of the things that could potentially undermine the progress we can potentially make as a continent yeah. if we don't come right with the psychology you're talking about. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, I mean, we've, we're fortunate enough to not have the, the fear of missing the FOMO of, you know, the, the, the global or international allure. Because I think that was a real thing for the generation before us. Yeah. Um, is that there was this allure of this world out there which I'm going to miss out on if I invest in, in, our, in my continent. Yeah. And I think that psychological FOMO was a reason why we've kind of taken, I believe, two steps back. But in our generation, because we've been traveled, we've been exposed, we've yeah. seen these things, that, 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 that's more, jo- it's more JOMO now, you know. <laughs> there's yeah. a joy, What's there's JOMO? A joy of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tweet that. It's a, it's a, it's a thing, actually. It's, a thing, Sorry, actually. it's not, it's not oh, me. I'd no, love, to, I'd love to take all the credit. I but thought I was gonna be first to market. <laughs> it's a thing. So, oh, so there's actually a, a, a joy of missing out because you're getting people who have yeah. been employed in a McKinsey in the Bains have traveled the world, yeah. and they're, the conscious, deliberate decision to be here and to invest here yeah. is not driven by anything but trying to create the value for the content. So I think that's a very different founding mentality. It's a very different entrepreneur mentality. Yeah. Um, is it mainstream? I don't think not yet, but no, I think Darwinian, Darwinian zero sum, yeah, no. winner take all situation. I think that's more mainstream. It's yeah. actually far more popular, to yeah. be honest. I, I think it speaks to our inherent uh, inclination towards greed. Yeah, and uh, the whole FOMO idea. Mm. What's that if not greed? Like, what are you so afraid you can't fit into your day that you <laughs> yeah. won't eventually get to? Yeah, that you have to be so afraid you'll miss out. Yeah. You know that that it's you know what I mean that it'll yeah. it'll actually get you to compromise values and yeah no, I'm very clear I mean yeah. uh, in the in the words of uh, Gabriel Mugabe yes. you keep your venture capital we'll keep our Africa <laughs> hashtag Jomo <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. that's so funny that's so funny so anyway. listen um, uh, Rochelle I'll give you the last words you're I suppose. Uh, I almost said you were the investor in our midst, and I realized, no, Musa's definitely investing. And I don't want to give anything away because we have exciting things to give away. But So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't claim that moniker for myself, but um, I'm definitely leaning into investment activities in some shape or form. Um, and so, yeah, but as the, as the first one to the party from the three of us <laughs> in this space, as the first one to the party and as, as yeah, someone I rate around these issues, like what would you, what's your final say around this as an investor and as someone who's interacting with these issues on a daily, looking sure. for investees, being the ideal you described, at least aspiring towards. Yeah. And, and again, also wanting to grow, but not at the expense of, this beautiful vision we all have for, sure. for what Africa needs to be. I mean, I, I think our our founding principle, etc., is is having making sure that 
the the incentives are aligned across all stakeholders right and and that speaks to the long term vision for the african continent or whatever that is for the community mm-hmm. um and and that starts with us right if we can get our investors or our capital providers to to be aligned for the long term growth of of an operating company to keep me honest and accountable for that and to keep our entrepreneur incentivized to grow their companies i think that ecosystems a lot healthier um and and the the way that we've set up setcher capital was was specifically to be capital light capital efficient um and now as we start thinking of 2.0 and 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 the the growth and scalability that that we could achieve using the lessons that we've learned i think we'll say you're 100% right there are going to be those off ramps that we need to take um but always with that long term vision of what do we ultimately want to achieve and and for us that's uh prosperity inclusion re- reducing the 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 inequality on the continent and for us specifically that's through job creation there there are other people who have it through healthcare or through social services education whatever that that may be but i think having that long term vision um and and build, putting those building blocks together so that you can be long term greedy and that's honestly what we are we're yeah. long term greedy yeah. um there may be setbacks or there may be diversions between now and then um but keeping your north star is hugely important for us yeah long term bullish hey like greed that's mm. so hard <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it, why are we not honest about what we want to yeah, achieve so right? you do want to win are investors. Yeah. you do want to win yeah, yeah. No, I suppose that's it, man. Uh guys, it's been an incredible first episode for 2019. I would not have chosen You are, you you're my first choices for, for being on the mic. No oh, doubt. No, nah, stop it. Uh, I'm, I'm stop. not even lying. Thank you so much. You guys make it a joy to get to do what we do. And and thanks for being on the show, Rochelle. Shout Thank out to you. your to the homie Brendan um who who I know is uh is uh watching the forts mm-hmm. even as we speak um, um and all the work you guys do at Setcher we look up to you uh and to you Musa psh, you know it's always real over here thank to, you sir um listen our, our, to our listeners you guys have stuck with us it's going to be 4 years in April wow 4 years in April sure it's it's just humbling to think about it and i know i've been sneaking teasers into the whole episode but it's fixing to be an incredible year mm. by god's grace so um it's fixing to be an incredible year we've got so many great announcements um partnerships we we look forward to announcing zimbabwe oh, man i can't even i can't even wait to share what we we have up our sleeve about you know what we're going to do there um and and also just interesting news we'll be sharing in good time about how our platform is going to start to do more meaningful things to make things happen quote unquote to help mm. make things happen around the issues that we've been discussing here today and um all that in good time nothing will be rushed um we have no fomo around it we <laughs> will joyfully mm-hmm. dance into to being able to share that with you so again thank you for listening if you'd like to get in touch with us there are lots of easy ways to do that drop us an email using hello at africandeckroundup.com you can reach us on social um on instagram and on twitter we're at africanroundup drop us a, a tweet let us know what you think um we we tweet regularly and um instagram um somewhat regularly as well so we'd love to hear from you there and then of course on facebook as well you can find us facebook.com/africantechrounder otherwise that's it from musa rashil and myself andile thank you so much for listening take it easy africa